This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the Sportacast. So, Mr. Novi williams let me ask you this. When did the phone begin ringing for Mr. Kevin Mather, the president and CEO of the Seattle Mariners? Um, too truthful for his own good? I mean, some very, very silly things. Uh, but on the finance of baseball, what do you think? A little too honest for, uh, for the liking of some people? I think way too honest. Kevin Mather, as you said, high-ranking executive at the Seattle Mariners, gave a talk to the Bellevue uh, Breakfast Rotary Club a couple weeks ago about the business of baseball and particularly around the Mariners. It took a couple weeks, but over the weekend, the full 45-minute 40, uh, talk has been released on YouTube. And, and by the way, he, he, had the, he had the club take it off of YouTube as if that was going to make it all go away. Yeah, and there's there's stuff that we shouldn't overlook in there about athletes and particularly Latin players and Japanese players and their English that is fairly despicable. I don't want to gloss over that. There, there's some horrible things in there. I think for the purpose of this show, we're kind of more interested in the things he said about the finances of baseball, what it's like to be a relatively small market team. We touched on some of these things last week, but again, the economics here are broken. He makes it very clear that the Mariners are manipulating the service time of their young stars. He makes it very clear that their older stars, someone like Kyle Seeger, who's been there for a long time, he's been probably the best team, best player on the team for, you know, over, over the course of the last decade, thinks he's overpaid. Yes, yeah, that uh, he's overpaid. Oh, all of these things that we talk about, about the way teams are kind of manipulating the market so that they control more of the, of a player's younger years and then are jettisoning them or not willing to pay them when it comes to the back end of their career are laid bare by Kevin Mather in this 45-minute talk. Yeah, like you and I said, though, this is sort of an open secret. Like, we know when these talented young players are, are able to be called up, but teams do not bring them up, and they've come up with multitude reasons as to why they leave them in the mind. A little more seasoning, a little more this, a little more that. The fact remains is they just don't want to start the clock on the service time. That will put pressure on them down the road for when they have to pay them. Yeah, and, and I, I'm curious your thoughts. I would say that, you know, the, the things he's expressing here are probably held by 19 of his peers, maybe 20 
Major League Baseball CEOs and presidents think exactly this the same way. And if I'm Tony Clark, who runs the ML Major League Baseball Players Association, I'm sharpening my spear, taking down the transcript for this. This is everything that baseball players are talking about when they say they no longer trust ownership. Major League Baseball loves to say it's not suppressing wages, or every team is trying to win in their own right. It's hard to make that argument when you have the CEO of a team out there expressing saying exactly the opposite. Yeah, and he said he spent a full day making the rounds of apologies, and I, I assume that's... A lot uh, of apologies. Said, to, yeah, Hisashi Iwakuma and some of the others for the things he said about not speaking English well. Uh, but also the players, you don't want somebody in your locker room who you now have said is overpaid. Um, a lot of damage control here. And it couldn't come at a worse time, by the way, because the Sabres are being rattled between the Players Association and baseball. There are economic problems. Uh, many feel as if we're headed for a work stoppage in baseball, a, a real clash. Mike Trout said he's speaking with Tony Clark almost daily to uh, sort of feel where things are, where they're headed. We could be looking at an ugly labor situation in baseball next season. You want to take a shot at, at which team in the four major U.S. sports has the longest playoff drought? Uh, is the Seattle Mariners? It is the Seattle Mariners. <laughs> <laughs> if you would have asked me that 20 minutes ago, I would have said something else. I don't know what, but it wouldn't have been Seattle. And I think I think it's relevant to, for this discussion. There's a part in there where he talks about the team's TV deal. I think I think the exact words he uses are we punch above our weight. We on punch his TV above deal. our weight. Yeah. He kind of lays out exactly why making the playoffs maybe isn't that important the way the Mariners are are structuring their their business. They're not spending a lot for players. They don't have an expectation to make the playoffs. They know they have a good uh, a good TV deal better than most teams in their kind of comparable situation. And as a result, there's a way to do that, to run that, and, and, and the team is either close to or is actually profitable. So, you know, it's not lost on a lot of people that this is the team that is, has the longest drought in, in professional American sports from the playoff standpoint. And he's out there talking about how, you know, in the, in the pandemic year, they, had a, they have a stronger TV deal than most. So there's, there's more guaranteed money coming in, regardless of how the team plays on the field. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me it wasn't like maybe a year or two ago that Ken Griffey Jr. was sliding into home plate, eliminating the New York Yankees? That was more than a couple of years ago? Maybe four or five. Yeah. Right. Jay Buhner, Jay Buhner. How could you have traded Jay Buhner? <laughs> Sorry, I slipped into my, my Seinfeld there. Uh, but, you know, you've talked, you and I have talked about this before, Evan. Not everybody's business model is the same. Some teams are predicated on winning. Yankees. You know, they do much better if the team is winning. They need to be really competitive on the field to make a, a huge return. Not the case for some clubs. When you've got revenue sharing, you've got a great local TV deal. Uh, I think like the only team who doesn't have a, a renewed local pact is the Marlins. And, you know, they're probably going to go 2x with Sinclair as well. So there's more, more money coming in there. Um, depending on the market, depending on the fan base, you perhaps do not need to spend all that much money because winning is not foremost on the fans' minds. That's just a fact of market. But what happens when the economics shift so that there's there, there's too many of those teams? And I think that's kind of where we are now that you could certainly look at baseball 15 years ago and say, okay, there's about half the league that is really trying to win now and another half that may be building, rebuilding, trying to win later. The, the Cubs are spending less now. 
The Red Sox are spending less now. Even the teams that we think of as the Blue Bloods always going to be spending, always going to be wanting to winning, they're spending less. And 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 we have a the, the president of the Mariners saying, we're essentially holding out on the free agent market. There's 180 guys out there. They're going to come hat in hand looking for contracts because no one's willing to pay them. And when they do, we'll be we'll be here with open arms. When, when there's too many of those teams, you end up with a broken system. And that seems like where we are now. And we keep talking about the end of the year when the, when the when the collective bargaining agreement expires. But this is going to be exhibit A when players go to the owners and say, look, it's clear that you do not think about these things in the way that that you were 15 years ago. All right, so we go from not spending to spending. There's one club out there where the dollars are being doled out quite nicely. You, you care to take a guess as to who I'm referring to? I believe you're talking about the San Diego Padres, a division rival of, of the Dodgers. Everyone's looking at the Dodgers and saying, they're spending so much, I can't compete with that. One team that's willing to spend uh, is the Padres, and and they, they paid a lot for pitchers in the offseason. And then the biggest news last week, Scott, for young Fernando Tatis, their star shortstop, 14-year extension, $340 million, one of the biggest contract extensions in baseball history. Absolutely. But as you wrote about uh, and Brendan Coffey wrote about not long ago, the most interesting part of this deal, because it's not the highest. I mean, it, it's it's in the top five. It's a great, great deal. And nobody's used to seeing the Padres spend this kind of money. It was an eye-popping number. But the interesting part of this deal is now the Padres owe him a boatload of cash, but he too owes an entity a boatload of cash. I will allow you, Mr. Novi Williams, to explain. Yeah, so back when Fernando Tatis was in single A ball when he was 17 years old, uh, a group called Big League Advance approached him and said, look, we're willing to give you cash up front for a percentage of your salary if you make the major league, if you make major league baseball. Now, this is pretty common. We should say this is pretty common that it does happen where athletes will take some money up front for in exchange for future earnings. It happens, and there's various structures to it. This company, uh, which again, gives cash and then only takes a cut of Major League Baseball earnings. There's other companies out there that will give kind of more structured loans in which the principal has to get paid back with with interest and things like that. Uh, this is a structure, you know, this is a, a little rare, I think. The, the guy who runs this, Michael Schwimmer, who's a former Phillies pitcher, they've invested in, I think, 344 players over the past few years Obviously, they're going to lose money on a vast majority of those players, Scott. But if two of them are Fernando Tatis, you know, you end up making almost all of your money right back there. He wouldn't tell me how big their stake is. The average person that they invest in gives up about 8% of their major league earnings. If you do 8% of $340 million, that's $27 million right there that they may be taking off this. We don't know if it's a little higher or a little lower than that. But this is this is an investment strategy that is, we think we can do better than Major League Baseball scouts right now in terms of picking potential that are going to make Major League Baseball. And if we get a number of these guys in on decent deals and a few of these guys end up to be superstars and maybe one of them becomes Fernando Tatis Jr., we end up being profitable. And at least right now, four or five years into this fund, it looks things are looking good. Strikes me as venture capital, right? You put, you put a bunch into a whole bunch of deals, and if one strikes, it pays for the others and the misses. I mean, that's what the, it really just strikes me as venture capital. Yeah, it's upfront risk. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's not odd that Bill Miller, the mutual fund manager, uh, was part of this, uh, as well as Paul D. Podesta, is now with the Cleveland Browns, a former baseball guy, but an analytics guy. Um, I think something that shows a little scale, Evan, is that at the start, that same year that they signed Tatis, they had 77 players and put out $26 million. So the return on Tatis alone, and we don't know the exact, but I'm guessing 
will be enough to cover at least those 77 players. Now, you, yeah. know, you got to hit more than one. And Michael Schwimmer told me of those 77, again, as you said, that was an invest. That was a round that they made five years ago. Over 35, I think, are, are in the major leagues already. And, and there's a number more that are that are still coming. So you, you think about the way this plays out and, and per- pertinent to the conversation we had at the beginning of the podcast, the way that Major League Baseball salaries are structured, they're not going to make any money on these guys' entry-level deals. You need these guys to get to free agency to sign the mega deal like the one that Fernando Tatis just did, not free agency, but he got his mega deal early. But that's what you need. You have to wait a long time for these guys, not just to make Major League Baseball, but to get to the point where they're signing their second and third deals, that's where they're going to make their money. Yeah, and now explain something to me, though, if you would. How can you do all that math as quickly as you just did? And you were, you know, I didn't double check you, but I'm assuming you're right, and still be so bad at time zones. Oh, man. Like, <laughs> plus three hours, minus three hours. Like, nobody screws up time zones more than Evan Novi Williams. So and literally, it's, how- it's, if you tell me that whatever it's a three hour difference i'm gonna go the wrong direction i know i think the people in in la are up three hours before us i'm always wrong all right so all right let me go from 340 million for tatis and we're like wow eye popping number right how does 10 billion sound when we talk about uh, the valuation of the data company sport radar uh eyeing an ipo maybe a spec but the valuation we're hearing 10 billion dollars i mean just a couple of years ago they were valued at two billion when they took in some equity investors that's insane yeah 2018 scott when when you i think you broke this news that the canada pension plan uh, investment board had invested in sport radar 2.4 billion dollars valuation then that was right around the time that the supreme court changed the law uh prohibiting sports betting in, in, in the u.s since then obviously the u.s has become a massive massive market for sports betting companies like sport radar that supply a lot of the data around that have seen their valuations grow and just to even put it in a smaller time frame scott we were told five or six months ago there were offers there around the eight billion dollar range sport radar is also considering going public through the traditional ipo Five or six months ago, that was also kind of priced around $8 billion. So it's gone up about 25% or more in just the past five or six months. I think a part of that is a function of the market. It's, a, it's an incredible time in, in public markets right now. And also, I think, a function of the, of the specific corner of the industry that Sport Radar sits in, whereby data, and particularly sports betting data, is getting increasingly valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we were looking at the size of the SPAC that it would take to complete this transaction at this valuation. And uh, Coffee, you know, Brendan Coffee told us there are only five of those out there right now, sports related, we should say, only five sports related SPACs out there that could do it. Uh, and all of them, there's only two entities here. We've got the Golden Knights owner, Bill Foley, right? And we've got one of the Golden State Warriors investors, Chamath Paliapatiya, who is the other. But that's not to say it could not be another entity. But this of the sports related SPACs, like those are the guys right now that have the size to do it. Yeah, you certainly don't need to have, your SPAC doesn't need to be a $10 billion SPAC to take a, a $10 billion company uh, public. But the the rough estimate that, that Brendan gave us, he thought maybe in the $750 million range was essentially how big you needed your SPAC to be to be able to pull off this transaction. A lot of the SPACs that we write about are in the 250, 300, 400 range. Scott, it's, it's, it's rare to see ones that are that big. There's other financing that you can do, including, you know, side raises of money and things like that. I wouldn't rule out anyone necessarily just on their size. But yes, the, no question. When, when you're talking about a company that is a, a DECA unicorn or whatever the term is for the, for the, <laughs> the $10 billion private companies, 
you're, you're, you do have to think about SPACs that maybe have a bit more dry, dry powder than, than the average ones. Yeah, for folks who don't know, we should probably tell them a little bit about Radar. It's a data company, very heavy, supplying data to the sports betting houses around the world. Some of the owners of the company, the investors, Michael Jordan, Mark Cuban, Ted Leonsis. So certainly making inroads. The NFL is an equity holder in Radar. Um, so clearly the sports betting market in the U.S. is about to explode. So th this company, yeah, SPACs generally use one, it's, it's a faster process than the IPO. Uh, and it, you're an attractive target if you've got a, an accelerated plan in place where you need growth capital. You know, you need money to survive, not good. You need money to expand, good. So that, that's probably where, uh, where Radar is right now. Uh, speaking of good, what did you think of the NHL and its outdoor game in Tahoe? I think there's, there's some good. There's some bad, there's some ugly. So you tell me which one do you want to take? I'll take the the good. Okay. The the, the visuals were pretty stunning. Trees, it pretty looked, trees. Bob Ross. It looked amazing. The the thing I kept thinking about watching games there, it felt like a, a video game where you can play your basketball game on the moon. You can just transport the game to anywhere you want and have cool scenery. When you don't have fans and you don't need massive tens of thousands of seats and bleachers you can put these things in, in pretty awesome places. And I thought the visual of the game uh, looked amazing. They certainly paid for that, Scott, because location and time of year and time of day, uh, they got unlucky, I think, with cloud cover and sun, and, and they had to postpone both game, games, one of which for, for a number of hours. Uh, but yes, I thought the overwhelmingly the appearance of the game and, 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 and the, the kudos that the league got for, for thinking about it, for, for pulling it off in that way, I thought, I thought was very positive. Yeah, I wonder, well, there were two things. I wonder, one, when did they know that the game would not be playable because the ice conditions would not be good enough? I'm guessing they knew before the start of the game. However, they did have the first game between the Knights and the Avalanche on NBC. So you had to get some pretty beauty shots of guys playing hockey on NBC proper. That just had to happen. After the first period, if people aren't familiar, after the first period, I mean, it, it got to the point where it was almost like guys were skating on ice and then they'd hit a spot that was that had got sunlight a lot and then they'd be in quicksand. And slushy, I don't slushy. know if you've ever been on ice skates that hit soggy ice, you fall down. <laughs> so it became dangerous. They postponed the game for like eight or nine hours, finished it up midnight Eastern time when obviously, you know, a lot of people went to bed and you didn't get to see the, the pretty pictures because it's dark out. So... You know, uh, Gary Bettman's quote, which I love, which I think should be on T-shirts. Every team should sell this T-shirt right now with a little logo and a bright sunshine logo on the back. Sunshine has always been our enemy, Gary Bettman. <laughs> I, lo I love it. As if, it was like, I think his, li his line was like, there's cloud cover everywhere except in front of the sun. So it, they really just did get unlucky because they finished up both games, by the way. There was a second game they finished up on NBCSN. And obviously the plan was to, this is a marquee event. There's a lot of expense to doing this and to not have it on NBC proper. Uh, just terrible luck all around. Do you think we see, flash forward two, three years, do you think we see the NHL doing this type of outdoor game again, where there's clearly a, a decreased priority on live attendance uh, in exchange for what is obviously a much cooler looking TV You property. know my answer. What have I said forever, Eben? <laughs> finite number of games, finite number of seats. Who cares? This yeah. is about scale. This is how many people are going to see those pretty shots, share the highlights, share the pictures all, all across the globe, all across social. I mean, the NHL deal is up, 
right? They make about $200 million a year right now on a deal that expires. You wonder, does ESPN want in? Do they want to put it on Plus? NBC is shuttering NBCSN, so it's going to be USA, NBC proper. What about Peacock? How much do they want streaming there? It's valuable programming because there's so much inventory. It's not the NFL, but there's so much inventory that goes with it. They're going to get a hefty raise, and there's Bell and there's Rogers in Canada. Um, yeah, I think they'll invest. I don't know why they just don't plunk down a rink in the middle of Central Park on the Great Lawn. Simon and Garfunkel can play. Invite like six teams. There'll be three games. Give me Canadians and Maple Leafs, Islanders, Rangers, uh, Blackhawks and Red Wings. I don't know. I'm just making like, I'm trying to pick original sixes. Uh, Bruins and whatever. But uh, it's a great spectacle. It did win them the day because people were talking about the NHL. The focus was on hockey, which as you know, for, for me, as a, as a hockey fan, you know, my kid plays. And by the way, our adventures in outdoor hockey, the, there's a season-ending tournament every year in Buffalo. And almost every year, it seems, we get like a 7.30 a.m. game outdoors on the river in Buffalo. No, thank you. It was cool the first time. You know, we get the picture of my kid with the, with the winter hat on the helmet. But I don't need 7.30 outdoors in Buffalo ever again. Tahoe? Yes, sign me up. I want all seven Canadian teams in a round-robin tournament on Lake Louise next year. Filmed by, by drones. The way, less by, were you the one the who thing. thought it was on the lake too? You were the one who <laughs> thought they were playing on the lake, right? I, so originally, when I saw the NHL outdoor games at Lake Tahoe marketing, yeah, I assumed, obviously really incorrectly, because it seems like the lake doesn't even freeze at all, that right. yeah, I was going to be on the lake, which I thought was one of the coolest ideas right, I've heard in a while. Let's promote the NHL a little bit more. Did you see the clip? I think I think it was one of the Avalanche players who also yeah, thought it was on the it lake. Was, Bellamare, yeah, and I think yeah. his, I think Burakovsky, his teammate, was like, um, it's not on Lake, it's beside yeah, Lake. But how great, his reaction was, no, you crushed my dream of skate on the Lake, you crushed my dream. Yeah, so clearly I was, I was not alone. Scott, I mentioned earlier those games looked like they were in a video game. Let's close by talking about a different video Ooh, game. Nicely done. About a month ago, EA Sports announced it was coming back with its college uh, college football, high, much anticipated return of its college football game. Earlier this week, Jack Swarbrick, athletic director at Notre Dame, announced that his school would not be participating in that game until its athletes were also allowed to. What do you think about this? Do you think we're going to see more schools coming out and saying, we're excited about this opportunity, but we don't want to take advantage of it. We don't want to get paid for our marks until our players can get the same courtesy. Right. Well, the game's not coming out until 2022 anyway, so I'm not sure. At the how earliest. Much does this, I mean, is it really maybe just a supportive thing to show the athletes? Because we have some time before we even know, you know what the game will be. Uh, and again, between, between the power of the names of the athletes and the power of the jerseys and the brands of the schools, you know where I, I stand. You just give me Notre Dame and Michigan, people are going to watch no matter who's in those helmets because it's Notre Dame and Michigan. So yeah, um, I, I don't think it means a whole lot right now other than because it's Notre Dame and Jack Swarbrick, other schools are going to pay attention. They, they Without question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, you have to. And and just to be be clear, the the plan for EA and and we don't know exactly when the game is coming out, but it's certainly not going to be this year. So next year at the earliest, they plan to get as many top tier college football schools as they can get, uh, but with you know the logos, the jerseys, the whole thing. the The plan for players is just to have literally random names, random skill sets, random jersey numbers until there is a framework there to uh to, to be able to compensate them fully my question and, and i'm not sure i totally agree that this is this is empty words if if name image and likeness rules do pass 
and the NCA is allowed, it suddenly these, these athletes are allowed to be paid. If they do pass under the restrictions that the NCA proposed and didn't end up voting on in January, group licenses still don't happen. I'm seeing a lot of people out there saying we're going to have, you know, athletes are going to be able to market themselves by the end of next year anyway. So this is a moot point. I'm not sure it's fully a moot point because there is still a scenario in which athletes are allowed to market themselves, but the group licensing necessary to get a game like this off the ground isn't quite ready yet. So we'll see in the next couple of years how it plays out. But in the, in the, in the, in the kind of middle ground there where athletes can do deals but group licensing around getting a massive group of athletes to do a deal like a video game doesn't happen. At least one school and a big one in Notre Dame is saying we're not, we're not taking part. All right. 30 seconds to go. Novi Williams. Uh, I teased this on Twitter. So I, I feel like we have to give the public what they want. <laughs> what is going on with your hair? Like you, you, you really look like it just like it, it's, it's hockey player mid playoffs way flowing down. You asked me the other day, should I buzz it off? Should I get a long hair haircut? What do you, yeah, where do are we I, going? Do, do I donate it? Uh, so, so I've got some breaking news, actually. Uh, haircut set, set for uh, Sunday morning. So oh, you used to go to Astor Place. It was like 10 bucks. New Yorkers know Astor Place shut down. I mean, how much I you think, pay for your haircut these I days? I think I'm going to pay for a real, like a real hair. Not, not oh. to diss Astor Place. I apologize. If they're a future sponsor, we can edit this out. No, they're cl- um, they but, closed. Astor Place closed. <laughs> oh, so I can't even get it there anymore. I'm going to get a full, like really expensive, good haircut. And we're going to give it, we're going to give it a shot. Right now, it's, it's awful. It's terrible. Uh, wait, so not a barber. Like I'm hearing salon come out of you. Like, yeah, I'm going, good. I'm going a, a place recommended down on the Jersey Shore by the place my mom gets her haircut, actually. Oh, my God. Perfect. I I love it. All right. On that (laughs) note, he is Novi Williams on Twitter. Novi underscore Williams. I am at Soshnik on Twitter. You are listening to the Sportacast. What is the foundation of what will be the Sportico Podcast Network?